Bonker Tov, good morning. A uh, final opportunity to wish everyone a Freilich of Hanukkah. It's, uh, you know, the eighth day, the final day of Hanukkah is known by its laning that we read this morning, Zos Hanukkah. I, is, uh, I always understood Zos Hanukkahs, but Zos Hanukkah. And I always understood Zos Hanukkah as this is it. You know, I don't know about you, every year before you, before you notice that Hanukkah is over, you go from the first night right to the eighth night. <laughs> right? It's the first night of Hanukkah, everyone's excited, you're lighting, next thing you know it's the eighth night. So this is the last opportunity, the day of Hanukkah, Zos Hanukkah, to be able to feel a uh, bask in the glow of uh, Hashem's miracles, to feel His uh, intense presence, and to recognize His role, that really the natural is all supernatural, and the great miracles that are in each and every one of our lives uh, on a regular basis. Hanukkah is also uh, the Sifrei Musr, the Sifrei uh, Hasidus. They list, you know, we, we Hanukkah is really the conclusion of Yamim Noraim. Yom Noraim begins with Elul, the month of Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Aser Simei Yom Kippur. And then we know as much as we say Ni'ilah, the gates are closing at Ni'ilah, we really have to Hoshana Rabbah. That's why on Hoshana Rabbah the Chazan wears a kittel and we, we use the Yom Noraim tune because really Hoshana Rabbah is the final opportunity. And then we say, it's not really Yoshana Rabbah, you have till Zos Hanukkah. Till the eighth day of Hanukkah. It's at the eighth day of Hanukkah that you uh, really begin to... Uh, in fact, the Sifrei Ch- I didn't say eighth, we're supposed to learn the Parsha, but I, I'm just holding on to Hanukkah, so you'll forgive me. But Hanukkah is the holiday of seeing, which I'm not going to spend time developing right now, but uh, everything about Hanukkah is about seeing. We don't have permission to use the candles. We're not allowed to benefit from the candles. The candles are there for us to see. Gemara says, the only mitzvah that you see someone else doing this mitzvah, you make a bracha, you say a blessing. You see someone else take a lulav and answer, you don't make a blessing. You see somebody else put on tefillin, you don't make a bracha. But you see someone else light candles and you're not lighting yourself, you make a bracha. The holiday is all about seeing. Where is the sin? You're supposed to sit and gaze. Vector of Aviner writes in a Sefer, the reason the rabbis instituted Haneros Halolo and Mos, Sur, you know why they instituted it? We don't sing a song after other mitzvahs. You take a lulav and esra, you don't sing a song. You put on talis tefillin, you don't sing a song. You light Shabbos candles, you don't sing a song. What are the mitzvahs that you do? You sing a song afterwards. So do you have to say that? So says, you know why the rabbis did that? To keep you in the room. Because so many other people would light the Hanukkah candles, then you run out to go make your latkes and have your presents and go back to whatever you were doing and you forget to actually... Forget Hanukkah is about the candles. Looking, gazing at the candles. You can't benefit from the candles, but you're supposed to look at and gaze the candles. So I heard of Moshe Weinberger from Esh Kodesh in New York. I heard a talk and he said, what are you looking for? What is this koach? What is this power of seeing on Hanukkah? What are we seeing? And he says, that's the connection to the Yom Ram. It takes until Hanukkah to see how our year is going. All the hope and aspiration, all the promises that we sought on the high holidays, we asked Hashem for good health or good parnasa, we asked Hashem for whatever it is that we asked Him for in our lives. Hanukkah now is the time that you see, you see what is happening. We see the results. Were we a good boy and a good girl last year? Were we not? What do we need to improve upon? We see in ourselves the mirror. Are we keeping, you know, everyone uh, rises to the occasion for the high holidays, Yom Naram, we're all on our best behavior during that time. But do we remain on that plateau or do we sink? Do we come down? So Hanukkah is the time, it's already considered a midpoint of the year that you start to see. You know, in Israel they call it Nes Hanukkah, when an American makes Aliyah with little children. They say, you know, when you first get there, my sister made Aliyah, my brother's making Aliyah this summer, you go with little children, you get frustrated, they go, I don't come home from school, they don't understand a word, they don't speak Hebrew, they're not fitting in. So they say, just wait, Nes Hanukkah. 
The next Hanukkah is wait till Hanukkah. By Hanukkah, your kid will be fluent in Hebrew, will be correcting your Hebrew, will be fit right in, and that's exactly what happens. Next Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the time when you start to see what is happening with the year. So today's the eighth day, and hopefully we can all still tap into its energy and uh, be elevated from uh, Hanukkah. Okay. Well, it is. It's an opportunity, right? You know, the secular New Year doesn't have that. There's no February 1st that says, how are those New Year's resolutions working out from January 1st? Hanukkah is, how is that Rosh Hashanah, how are those Rosh Hashanah New Year's resolutions working out? Zos Hanukkah, are you looking the candles, you should look into yourselves, do we see, are we living up to the expectations that we set for ourselves? Okay, got to drink a hot coffee and thaw out a little bit here. Okay, Parsha Vayigash, we're going to uh, once again uh, resume what we started doing recently. An overview of the whole Parsha, give it context, and then our examination, our literary examination, of a textual examination of a few of the verses. Okay, we left off uh, at the end of last week's Parsha with the final test where Binyamin, the youngest son, is accused of stealing. Uh, Yosef plants a goblet in his backpack, in his knapsack, in his rolling duffel, whatever it is that he had, and falsely accuses Binyamin. And what was the purpose of it? I mentioned last week. There was a method to Yosef's madness. Yosef was not vengeful. Yosef was not seeking to, uh, to get back or to get even. The method to Yosef's madness was he was trying to create the exact same situation, a context where one brother is isolated from the others and test those brothers, will they rise to the occasion? Will they do the same thing they did to him? which is to dismiss him, disregard him, forget him, and neglect him? Or will they be different? Have they learned their lesson? Will they take care? And that's where we end off at the end of last week's uh, Parsha. And Yehuda, at the end of last week's Parsha, what can we say, my Lord? How can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? What can we do? And then all of a sudden we have the beginning of this week's Parsha. Vayigash elav Yehuda, vayomer biaduni. Yehuda speaks up. He passes the test. Yehuda, who is the monarch, who is the monarchy of the Jewish people, comes through the tribe of Yehuda. Yehuda has shown a number of times his his ability, his capacity to say, "I was wrong, we were wrong." That is the hallmark of a leader. Interestingly, in Judaism, the hallmark of a leader is not only their leadership skills. The hallmark of the leader is the capacity to say, "I was wrong." I'm not too uh, arrogant to admit I was wrong. I was wrong. I make mistakes. I was wrong. So Yehuda steps forward. We don't have time. I think we spoke about this last year. It's kind of a funny opening to the Parsha. Vayigash love Yehuda. It's this dramatic opening. If you took a break between Miketz and Vayigash, as we did for the week, we literally took a break because we didn't even read it Monday and Thursday because of Hanukkah. If you take a break for the week, it's a very dramatic opening on Shabbos morning. Vayigash love Yehuda. Yehuda courageously musters the courage. He approaches Yosef and he says, I got something to tell you. I have to be honest. I have a confession to make. We are your brothers. Or I'm sorry, I have a, he approaches him, I have a, we have to give us Binyamin before Yosef reveals who he is. But if you realize that the Torah was not read, not written to be read with a week break, but there's a continuity and a flow, then you wonder, why have I actually love Yehuda? What's the end of Miketz? Yehuda's in the middle of a conversation with Yosef. So why did he have to approach him now? Why is Yehuda approaching Yosef? He's already in the middle of a conversation. It's like you're talking to someone, you say, Can I approach you? What do you mean, can I approach you? We're, we're talking. We discussed that last year, we're not going to get into it. So Yehuda steps forward and he says, You can't do this. And uh, uh, have you a father or brother? We said, We have an old father, a young child, his brother's dead, he's left alone. Our father's going to die if we don't bring him back. Take me instead. Yehuda says, Take me instead. Exactly what he didn't do with Yosef. Yehuda helped Yosef when he said, put him in a pit. 
and he intended on coming back from later. But why didn't he step forward to his brothers and say, Stop! We can't do this. He's our flesh and blood. We may not like him. Go throw him in a locker. Go give him a noogie. Go do something else you want to do to him. You can't kill him. He didn't step forward and do that. But Yehuda does now. He learns his lesson. Tshuva Gemur. The Rambam writes that complete repentance is being back in the exact same situation and, and showing the correct judgment this time. Tshuva is feeling regret and a commitment not to repeat the bad behavior. But Shuva Gemura, complete repentance, is only when you're back in the same situation and you show that you use proper judgment. As an aside, a question they ask on that Rambam. Every year I mention this, it bothers me every year. The Rambam says the methodology of Shuva of repentance is avoid the situation that puts you in that compromised position. If you hung out with bad friends or if you were in a bad location or you had something that you know is a temptation to you, avoid it. Part of repentance is don't put yourself in a position where you're going to be weak. Avoid the test. Avoid that situation. That's part of the process of repentance. If you know every time you go to the bar you get drunk, don't go to the bar. Every time you walk by that bakery you end up overindulging eating in a way that you shouldn't be eating. Don't walk by that bakery and so on and so forth. So if you do tshuva properly, you can never get to tshuva gemurah. If you do repentance properly, you can never get to complete repentance. Because complete repentance is being back in the exact same situation. So a number of answers are given to that question. We're not going to spend time on it. But Yehuda gives, he does complete repentance because he's back in the exact same position. And rather than abandon his brother, he stands up for him. He stands up for him. So Yosef can't take it anymore. He hears this long soliloquy from his brother Yehuda. He's so moved that he's now set up this test and Yehuda has passed it. That it's time to reveal himself. So he says, get everyone out of the room. He cries out in a loud voice, all of Egypt here. Yosef says to his brothers, these fantastic words, I may speak about them Shabbos afternoon in the class, Ani Yosef Vichai, I am Yosef, is my father still alive? Which is kind of a funny question to ask. Why is it a funny question to ask, is my father still alive? What was Yehuda's plea a moment ago? When Yehuda finally passes the test, what did he say to Yosef? You can't do this to my dad! He's lost one child already, and he's lost his wife, and he's a, you can't do this to my father, he'll surely die. Yosef turns to him and he says, I have to be honest, I'm Yosef. Now tell me, is my father still, what does he have, amnesia? He forgot already? I just told him two seconds ago. So that's a question. Maybe we'll talk about it Shabbos afternoon. Then he tells his brothers, come close to me. They come close, I'm your brother. It's me, I'm the one you sold into Egypt. Don't worry, I'm not going to take revenge. Here's the deal, two years of hunger, five years left. Go get dad, bring him down here. It's all going to be good. Paro hears, Paro hears that Yosef has brothers. Paro is overjoyed, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Why does Paro care? Paro is so nostalgic, he's so excited. It's like watching a good show of Oprah, a reunion of a family, he's so moved. What is Paro so excited that Yosef, his brothers, they're in town? But he says to Yosef, go bring your whole family. I'm going to sell them nicely. I just, here are first class tickets for everybody. Here's a first class chariot, bring them down. Yosef sends them back with gifts. Yaakov receives the news. How does Yaakov receive the news? Don't tell me the Medrash. Don't tell me the Medrash. What is the Pasuk? How does he receive the news? Is he overjoyed? Does he throw a kiddush? Oh, oh, no. no, he's in disbelief. Right. He doesn't believe it at first. It takes a little while till it sinks in. And they undertake the journey. They come down. The miracle of Yocheved's birth. Uh, Seventy descendants. Yaakov arrives in Egypt. There are 70 that came down to Egypt, which is really miraculous when you think that there are 3 million who leave Egypt after the years of servitude, the uh, two centuries of servitude. 
But 70 descendants come down, descend to Egypt. Yaakov arrives. Yosef ensures his family settlement. Interestingly, does not put him in the city of Mitzrayim. Places him in a suburb of Goshen. Goshen. Why the suburb? Why not put his family in the big city? The Be in the capital. The the is, the, is the sheep the only reason? So Yosef himself realizes that it's not good to assimilate with the Egyptians. But I think it's more than that. We don't have time to... Uh, I don't think they wanted them close. They couldn't eat together. They didn't really want to. Yeah, them. we don't have time to develop this now. But I think Yosef understood that out of respect for his father to designate a separate place for them, for him to be able to be the patriarch and raise his family with his family values and not to be competing with the values of the Egyptians. It's an interesting observation that Yosef does not integrate his family fully into Egyptian culture, but he somewhat, uh, I don't want to say isolates them, but he places them in a suburb. Yaakov and Paro meet, one of my favorite interactions in the whole Torah, because it is incredibly, profoundly disappointing. Why is it disappointing? On page 263, again, just the overview of the Parsha. Yaakov and Paro meet. Yaakov is the greatest spiritual mind. Sorry, chapter 47, verse 7. We're not spending time on any of this. This is all still part of the overview. Just dropping a few little nuggets of insights in the overview. Yaakov and Paro meet. Yaakov is the greatest spiritual mind. Paro is the leader of the free world. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall listening to that conversation? Well, you get to be because the Torah records that conversation. What's the conversation of the greatest spiritual mind meeting the greatest uh, leader in the world? What do they talk about? The economic cycles and how to break out of this economic cycle. Poverty, how to solve world poverty. How to create world peace. Whether God's existence is really provable. What do they talk about? How old are you? Yaakov says, yeah, I'm, I'm 130 years. My life has been pretty lousy. Oh, but here's a bracha. It was nice to meet you. Zaygazunt. Yaakov said Zaygazunt to Paro. And that was the end of their conversation. Pretty depressing. Why is that the conversation? Why didn't Yaakov take the opportunity as Yosef did to talk about God and to inspire Paro about God? Remember, Yosef transforms Paro. But he blessed it. He blessed it. What does that mean? Oh, he blessed him. Okay, good. He blessed him. Must mean he drew from the divine. But look at the conversation. <coughs> Yaakov's message is, I'm 130, but boy. I mean, you know, it's like a Jackie Mason routine. I'm 130, but oh, I've had such a miserable life. My journeys, my challenges, my travails. What, that's, what, that's the message you wanted to give Paro? Why wasn't his message, you know what, I've got Torah, I've got the best life ever. I've got everything I need, I've got God. I'm the son of Yitzchak, the son of Avram. He didn't say that optimistic, hopeful, uplifting, inspirational message. He said, I'm 130. Few and bad have, my, have been the days of my life. And they have not even reached the lifespan of my forefathers. That's his message? That's his message? I'm leaving you with a lot of questions. Yosef and the famine, right? Comes back to the whole issue of the famine. The end of the famine, the fat, the thin years where nobody has food, and Yosef is over Paro's house. And the Jewish people, the people of Israel, settle in Egypt. In Goshen, they acquire property. They are fruitful and they multiply greatly. They multiply greatly. Again, they go from 70, a family of 70, which is not a small family, but a family of 70 to a family of 3 million in the course of a few centuries. Okay, that's Parshas Vayigash in and over you. We're going to start today from Shlishi. The Aliyah of Shlishi, which can be found on page 252-253 in the Stone Chumash. It is uh, Perak Mem Hey Pasuk Ches, chapter 45, verse 8. Okay? 
we find ourselves in the middle of the story. Yosef has just revealed himself to his brothers. Um, Yosef, his pop's still alive, and he sees that his brothers are beginning to be fearful. I mean, how would you feel? Talk about a moment of truth. So he says, He says, Listen, now, before you start to feel all kinds of guilt and regret, before you start to think, I'm going to take revenge against you, know who sent me here? God sent me here. God set this whole thing up. I couldn't be here if it weren't for God's will. Are you accountable for what you've done? Yeah. But it's God's will that I'm here. And look how the story is a happy ending. I am the Viceroy of Egypt. I'm Adon Kobesom, the master of his whole household. Moshe Bechol Eretz Mitzrayim, the leader of all of Mitzrayim. Yosef's taking an attitude, which is a, the Sefer Achinach writes, every one of us has to take. There's a prohibition in the Torah of Losikom Velositor. You're not allowed to take revenge. I think I've spoken about it before. You can't take revenge against someone. What's the difference between Lotikom and Lotitor? Losikom Lositor? Losikom is, I can't take revenge, means last week I needed a cup of sugar. I knocked on your door, said, can I have a cup of sugar? And you said, no. This week you come to my house, can I have a cup of sugar? I say, no. I could lend you a cup of sugar. I would lend anyone else in the world a cup of sugar. But I'm taking revenge against you. That's a Torah prohibition. I'm not allowed to. Lotitor is, last week I knocked on your door for a cup of sugar. You said, no. This week you knock on my door for a cup of sugar. I say, yes. I say, sure, let me go get a cup of sugar because unlike you, I'm happy to lend a cup of sugar. Lotitor is, even when you do the kind deed, but you give a shtuch, you remind the person they didn't do it for you, that's also a Torah prohibition, a biblical prohibition. Says the Sefer Achinach, what's at the root? What's at the root of the prohibition to take revenge? Now forget my example of sugar, but at root of the Torah prohibition to take revenge Says the Sefer Achinach, if you desire to take revenge, you're a heretic. Mm-hmm. A heretic. Yeah, you deny God. Because nothing could happen to you if God was not okay with it. So if somebody did something harsh to you, on the one hand, they are accountable. They should be accountable. We have a system of law. Someone damaged you, you take them to a din Torah, to a Beisden. And you adjudicate. Civil damages, criminal damages. There are laws and people are accountable for what they've done wrong. But revenge... Revenge implies that the only one who could have done that to me is you. Is you. So that cuts God out of the equation. So the attitude the Sefer HaChinuch says one has to have is that look, this couldn't happen to me if it weren't for Hashem. So I can't take revenge. Is that person accountable? They'll have to give their own din v'cheshbon. Yes, they will be accountable. But from my perspective, everything that happens is from Hashem. I can't take... uh, I can't take revenge. So Yosef is saying to the brothers, There is revenge in the Torah. You have to examine each of those situations differently. There's an answer to each of those. You have to examine them differently. But the attitude of bearing a grudge and taking revenge is what the Torah is telling us not to do. Right after I had originally taught that thought, I saw that Sefer HaChinuch and I taught it, that week or a week later, someone did something very um, disturbing. Very very hurtful to me. Someone did something very public and very hurtful to me. You might have received it in your mailbox. It was a little over a year ago. And I, at first I started to get all anxious and upset and plot how we're going to figure out what, what we're going to do. It's not right. And then I said, I just taught the Sefer HaChinuch. 
There's a reason I just learned that and taught that. It's a message for me. So I can tell you as a person who's used that Sefer HaChinuch for therapy for myself. It's very powerful. When someone hurts you and you're tempted to say, how am I going to get back? How am I going to get even? How am I going to tell everybody about them? How am I going to... Just take a deep breath and you say, you know what? They're accountable. I'm not forgiving them necessarily. They're accountable for what they've done. But from my perspective, I have to feel if this happened to me, there's a reason from above and I have to examine myself. How do I need to grow? Why am I mentioning this? Because this was Yosef's attitude. Yosef turns to his brothers. Yeah, you'll be accountable. When you get to Shemaim, you get upstairs, you'll be accountable. But vis-a-vis me, Yosef says, I'm all good. You're my brothers. There's a reason. From my perspective, there's a reason it all worked out for the best. Because it left me in a position that I'm able to help you. I'm the Viceroy of Egypt. If you look at the Sephorno, V'yatolo atem shlachtem, Hinei biroschem tachlis elokai, Shelo haya musag bezulas ela hasibos hakodmos, Ein suffix shasibos hakodmos, Hayugam kein berotzen elokai, L'savevze hatachlis. What was he saying? Sforno is putting it in fancy language. What he's basically saying is, what's tachlis? Look at the results. Yosef was encouraging his brothers, if you see the results and you like the results, then you're obligated to look retrospectively and understand that everything, the whole journey that yielded those results also came from God. Now, if you're prepared to look and say that I couldn't be the second in command. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. I was a slave sold into slavery. And here I am, the vice president of Egypt, in charge of the finance, the economy. That has to be God. Well, if you're going to say that that has to be God, then you've got to be willing to look retrospectively and say, the whole method, everything that led up to it, how I got here, is also God. Sforno is encouraging us, based on Yosef's experience, it's the attitude that we should have in, in life as well. Okay, continuing. Pasuk test. So what's Yosef's instruction? Maharu ve'alu elavi. Hurry up and... What's ve'alu? Why do they have to go up? Take an elevator? Where are they going? Down? Why is Egypt down? No, it's not the Oh, okay, good. So look at Rashi. V'alu elavi. Go up to my father. Eretz Yisrael gavoa mikol haratos. The Gemara Zvachim says, Israel is a higher elevation than all the other lands. And Yerushalayim is the highest, Harabais is the highest elevation. It's a very powerful feeling. Been to Israel, you know that when you're going to Yerushalayim, it's such a great feeling that you're climbing. You know that if you've driven, especially, and you're trying to press on the gas pedal, when you're climbing, 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 you feel you're ascending to go to Yerushalayim. And that was designed that way on purpose by God to give us that sense, that feeling that going to Yerushalayim, going to the holiest city, we are ascending. So Rashi is quoting Gemara Tzvachim, whether it's meant to be taken literally, I don't believe it's true, by the way, that Israel is the highest elevation in the world. Um, but it's meant, at least meant to be taken figuratively that Israel is the highest elevation. Spiritually, as someone just said, Mitzrayim was decadent, was lowly, was the lowest culture. Going up, you're going up to Israel. Yardu, right, going down to Egypt and now Alu Laretz. So he says, Maharu, hurry up, go get dad. And here's what I want you to tell him. This is what your son Yosef said. God has placed me as a master over all Egypt. Come down, come down to me. Hurry down, dad. Don't delay. Hurry up. Don't stand still. 
Be'aretz Goshen, I'm going to help you reside, we're going to move you to a nice condo in Goshen. Ve'ayisa karov you'll be close to me. Atau v'necha v'nei v'necha, you and your sons and your grandchildren. V'tzoncha v'karcha v'chol asherlach. And all of your cattle, everything that you have, it's time to move the family down. I want you to come be near me. I'm going to take care of you down here. I will be able to sustain you there, here. Because it's going to be another five years, we're only into year two of the famine. Why should you move here, he tells him. What does that mean? That you don't become poor, you don't become destitute, indigent. You and your family and everything that you have. It's interesting that he tells him that, because it's not what he told the brothers why they should move. Tells the brothers to move here. What? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll get to the commentaries. But he gives a different reason than he had given to the brothers. To his fathers, he says, move down here lest you become impoverished. So that's the message for uh, his father. And uh, what, was he, what was he really getting at? So look at the Ramban. Thank you, Sarah. Yud Aleph. To his brothers he said, Come here because I'm going to save you. I'm going to save your life. You stay where you are in Israel, there's a famine, you're going to die. There's no food. You're going to die. So to his brothers he said, Come to Egypt so I can save your life. But that wouldn't be honorable to say to your father, You're going to die, let me save your life. It's not honorable to put yourself in the position you're saving your father's life. So it was derech kavod, it was honor to say, penti varish, lest you become impoverished, come here while I can still maintain your lifestyle. If you delay and, let, and stay in Israel, you'll become poor. Now the Ramban here is answering a question. Why, Yaakov would say, what do you mean I'm going to become poor in Israel? If you love me so much, so send me food to Israel. Why do I have to come to Egypt? Why is there a contingency? Why is there a, a condition that you can only sustain me, you'll only give me food in this famine if I come to Egypt? Send me food to Israel. So the Ramban says why. Because Yosef was sending a message, I can't send you Egyptian food to Israel. Unfortunately, this uh, still remains true. How will the Egyptians feel if they see me doing trade with Israel? They'll think that I'm trying to promote my name. They'll think that I have my own interests bank because account. that's my homeland. And they're, what? Bank account in Switzerland. Yeah, I got a bank account in Switzerland and I'm setting up a bank account in Israel. But if you come here and everyone sees you're my family, they would love to see me taking care of my family and bringing you to Egypt. But if I send you it in Israel, they're going to fear you're bringing me and us to Israel. That they're going to oppose. Yes? When Yosef says to his brothers, I'm going to sustain you for a momentous deliverance, is that the foreshadowing of the Yitzhak and Tzvah? Mm-hmm. Mm. It's partially built into the language. In fact, we'll see that mm-hmm. in one second. We'll see that in one second. Okay, so that's the Ramban Pentivarish. Different than what he said to his brothers and why he couldn't go to bring uh, food to his father in Israel. In 
Behold, your eyes see, as do the eyes of your brother Binyamin, Kifi Hamidaber Aleichem. That's my mouth that's speaking to you. What a strange statement. You and your brother Binyamin see that it's me speaking to you. Oh, so what does that mean? Good, so we'll see there in one second. First of all, along the same lines about the foreshadowing, Yud Bey is Rashi. Hinei Nechem Rose, your eyes see. Bechvodi Veshani Achechem. Shani Mahu Kachem. You see, what do you see with your eyes that you're going to report to dad that no one else sees? So Yosef says, you see with your own eyes that I have a bris. I guess he revealed his bris. Today there are many people who are circumcised, not just Jews. But in those times, I mean, who in the world would volunteer circumcision? If you didn't see it as having a religious component. And certainly, you know, they didn't have uh, studies of cancer to see uh, the health benefits. So he says, um, you are the ones who see that I have a bris, that I'm circumcised. Vote, and furthermore, kipiyam medaber eleichem balashen akodesh. As Sonia said, you see, what language am I talking to you in? I'm talking Hebrew to you. You see with your own eyes that here we are talking Hebrew. Would I be able to speak Hebrew to you if I was not your brother Yosef? No, as Yosef over and over again is trying to give them evidence and trying to convince them that it's me. Don't worry. There's no conspiracy. It's really me. The Ramban doesn't like that. Look at the Ramban. Balashan HaKodesh Dasa Mefarshim Vehutargam Unklus the Rashi, the Ibn Ezra, the Radak, all based on Unkla, say that what Yosef was saying, you see with your own eyes, my mouth, why would they be looking at his mouth? <clears throat> because he's speaking Hebrew, no one else spoke Hebrew. <laughs> Maybe he said that to them to satisfy them, to make them feel good. Look, I'm speaking Hebrew to you. Hebrew is your native language. You're comfortable in Hebrew. Because yeah, originally... <laughs> But he says, but that's, that's not really proof that he's Yosef. Because it's not just one person who spoke Hebrew in Israel. The language he was speaking, Lashon HaKodesh, was the language that was spoken in Canaan as a whole. It wasn't just Avram and his family. So this was not a private code that just Avram's descendants and progeny shared with each other, such that it would confirm Yosef's identity. Egypt is right next to Canaan. So many people speak Hebrew in Egypt because that's what they spoke in the next door neighbor nation. And all the more so a leader. Leaders know multiple languages to be able to uh, practice diplomacy. Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian leader spoke Hebrew when he describes his dream. When he was describing his dream, Nebuchadnezzar, he used Hebrew to describe it. Sternban is rejecting... Why does he go all the way to Nebuchadnezzar when Paro seemed to do the same thing according to Pesach? Well, we don't know if the Pesach is translating what Paro said really in, in Egyptian. They answered Nebuchadnezzar in Aramaic. So the Ramban disagrees. He rejects Rashi, the Ibn Ezra, the Radak, Unklus. He says, no, it doesn't mean he was looking at his mouth because they was looking at the language he spoke. Everyone spoke that language. It was right next door in Canaan. Most people spoke that language. 
the evidence when Yosef said, I am Yosef, he mentioned the name. How would someone know the name of the brother? Asher Machartim, and that you sold me, how would someone know that? He mentioned all these facts that no one else could know, and that's how he was revealing his identity. But the Ramban rejects the idea that this Hebrew somehow revealed the evidence. So what the Ramban, so how does the Ramban explain when he said, Why are you looking at my mouth? So says the Ramban, continue next part. The Anachon Be'enai. Says the Ramban, what's correct to me, Ki Yomar V'hinei Yinechem Ros V'hinei Achi Ben Yamin, Ki Ani HaMoshel V'adon L'chom Mitzrayim. HaMagid L'chem Mipi, Ki Ani Achichem, U'mitzvah L'horid Avi Elai L'chal Kolo. Says, you see with your own eyes that I am the leader of Egypt. Now look at my mouth. I'm telling you, I'm Yosef. I'm your brother. With this mouth, I can put people to death, I can keep them alive, I can rule Egypt with this mouth. And this mouth is telling you, I'm Yosef, your brother. Go get dad. What's the connection between... Uh, further, I would say the Ramban's argument, if Rashi were correct, then Yosef shouldn't have said, look with your eyes. That my mouth that speaks to you. What should he have said? Listen with your ears. The mouth that is speaking to you. If it was really that it was Hebrew and that was a code. So the Ramban is explaining, what do you mean look with your eyes about the mouth that is speaking to you? Ramban is saying, look with your eyes the position I have attained and understand therefore that the mouth that's speaking to you is telling you the truth. Is telling you the truth. Okay? The Gemara Megillah understands, like my mouth, that's what's in my heart. My mouth is revealing what is in my heart. Okay, so that's what that Pasuk means. That's what Yosef is telling them. That's a debate between Rashi, Ibn Ezra, and Radak versus the Ramban. Pasuk Yid Gimel. Back to what he should tell Dad. Give Dad a little nachas. Tell him who I am. Tell him the honor that I have in Egypt. Everything you've seen. Hurry, bring him back. Get him here. Hurry, bring him back. Get him here. Yosef then collapses. This reunion, his reconciliation is concluding. He's revealed himself. Took his brothers a little time to believe it, to not worry that he was going to take revenge. Did they ever believe he was going to not take revenge? No. no. How do you know that? We'll see next week's Parsha. Because when Yaakov dies, they come back and they say, um, Yosef, I don't know if Dad mentioned to you, but he told us that he wanted you to forgive us, everything's, we're all good. <laughs> right? Why? Because they were, Yaakov never said such a thing. But they were still fearful. They were still fearful. <coughs> he's already stopped inviting them to eat with him. Yeah. That's why they were worried. That's why they were worried. So, uh, so he, they now come around to reconcile. He gives them the message to tell his father. And Yosef collapses on Binyamin's neck of his brother, and he cries. And Binyamin cries on Yosef's neck. This incredible embrace. One can picture this great music playing in the background. The lighting is dimming. Curtain is falling. As Yosef and Binyamin fall on each other. Why Binyamin significantly? Binyamin is his real brother. Share the same father and the same, same mother. And Binyamin is the only one who didn't sell him into slavery. He wasn't alive. So here he is collapsing with his brother. This is loving embrace. How many years apart are they? He wasn't alive. He was alive, but he couldn't participate in the. No, because he was still at home with. Right, he was a baby. I'm sorry, he was a baby. He couldn't participate. I don't know. I don't know the year's difference. I'm not sure. So Rashi, now we said about foreshadowing. Rashi says, "What's this cry fest? Come on, guys, you're men. 
Suck it up. What are you crying on each other's necks? Says Rashi. Yosef understood that Binyamin was going to merit the two temples existing in his territory. The tribe of Benjamin inherits the territory around Jerusalem where the Temple Mount is. So Yosef knew that Binyamin's territory was ultimately going to house the two temples that would be destroyed. And that's what he was crying for. That's what he was crying for. How did he know that? How does Rashi know that? Look at the Tzivsei Chachamim. Midechsev kan tzavarei velokisiv tzavarav. Yosef cries on the necks of Binyamin. Why is it in the plural tzavarei? Chudas pi vayipol al tzavarav. Why tzavarei, which is plural? That's how Rashi deduced that it's a reference to the two temples. And Binyamin reciprocates. Binyamin cries on Yosef's neck, and here it doesn't have two, it has one. Tzavarav. What's that a reference to? Shiloh. Mishkan Shiloh. She'asid lios bechelko Yosef. Shiloh was housed in the portion of Yosef. Why was Binyamin Zoha to the to the Beis Hamikdash being in his portion? Anyone know? He was the only tribe who was born in Israel. It's a great merit to be born in Israel. My oldest daughter was born in Israel, and then we took her out. I don't know if that's still a great merit. But it's a great merit to be born in Israel. Since Binyamin was the only tribe, the Gemara says, born in Israel, that's why he merited to have the temples in his uh, portion. The, the, two, <coughs> the two events could have been the opposite. Binyamin could have cried for the base of Megdush, and Yosef could have cried for Shiloh. It right. could have been more personal. Right. It shows the empathy they had for each other. Oh, beautiful. The empathy for the suffering of, the, of one another. Beautiful. Beautiful. Pasuk Tesva, Vayinashek Lacholachav, Vayevk Alayem. And after he, he uh, embraces Binyamin and cries on his shoulder, he then repeats that with each of his brothers. Vayinashek, he kisses his brothers and he cries on them, which is important, right? Because what kind of reconciliation would it be if you only cry on the brother that didn't sell you? If you really want to prove the reconciliation, you go to each of your brothers. And only at the end of all of this were the brothers prepared to speak to him. They were still in shock. They were still traumatized. They were still not confident 100% that he wasn't going to take revenge and call to cut off their heads right then. Only after this embrace are they prepared to respond. And that's what Now they relieved, they were embarrassed, they were ashamed, they were humiliated. But Yosef, to his great credit, was more concerned with their shame than with his honor. So he made them feel comfortable, he put them at ease, and it was successful because now they're ready to speak. Now they're ready to talk. <clears throat> and that's what the Orachayim says. Why, was it that, why weren't they ready to talk after Yosef said all the nice things? Why did it take him crying? So the Yorachayim, Rechayim ben Atar says, <coughs> Once he saw him crying and embracing him, hugging him, now they were ready to talk. Maybe he said all those nice things just to remove their embarrassment, to put them at ease. But maybe in the world of action, he was still planning on taking revenge. But when he saw that Yosef was crying and that he was sad that they were leaving because he had sent them back to 
Canaan to go get the father, and he was saddened by that. Here he has a reunion, and right away he's alone again. When they saw the genuine sadness, they saw that he's the real deal. He's a loyal brother, and now they're ready to speak and to open up. Even though Yosef cried earlier, that cry might have been a cry because he was sad for the for the suffering he had gone through. This cry was not Yosef crying for himself, he was crying that they had to leave, that he was going to be alone again. Before he cried, maybe because he didn't want to see Binyamin go, but he was displaying love. So this is another very important, subtle idea, that if you really want to show reconciliation, you have to display affection. Otherwise, the person doesn't believe it's true. If you're using the words, I forgive you, but you're not displaying the affection, then you don't really forgive the person. There's no intimacy, there's no affection, there's no love, there's no warmth. You don't really forgive a person. Power of touch is a very powerful thing. Even when you're talking to someone, you put your hand on somebody's arm, you put your hand on somebody's shoulder, you put your... It's actually a tragedy today that... uh, you know, a lot of people can remember a Rebbe or a teacher, somebody who put their hand on their shoulder, their hand on their arm, and, and, and the, the confidence that instilled in them, or the ease that placed in them that everything was going to be okay. We live in a world where if a teacher puts a hand on the shoulder, you've got to worry, there's going to be lawsuits and charges, and so today that's lost. And it's a, big, it's a big issue. But that power of touch, that power of affection, I don't mean... I don't mean a sexual affection. I'm talking about just warmth and love of genuine affection is a very powerful tool. You have a reconciliation. Yosef's going on and on and on waxing poetic about forgiving them and everything's going to be okay. They don't buy it until he puts his hand on them. Until he displays that affection. It's a very important and a very powerful tool. It's a powerful tool for parents. There are a lot of parents who are uncomfortable with affection maybe fathers in particular, and they don't show those of that affection to their children, and no matter what the words say, the children always feel, they always live with doubt whether the parent really loves them. That display of affection is something which is really critical, and it lasts a long time, and it has a more powerful impact than words can ever have. So that's... Because they still, you know what? If you sold somebody, if you were prepared to kill somebody, and then you sold them into prostitution... You'd also have in the back of your head a little doubt whether they ever really forgive you. Maybe it said something about them. You know what it said about them? That they wouldn't have forgiven. That they wouldn't have forgiven. Often we project. Psychology have a whole uh, concept of projection. We often project onto somebody else what we would feel in their circumstance and then we blame them for that even though we don't feel it. It's a big tension in, in, in relationships. You say, why do you keep projecting? I, I don't feel that way. I never said those things. But how, you would f- how we feel, we project onto someone else. So maybe the brothers were projecting onto Yosef. We could never forgive. And therefore, they never really accepted that he had in himself forgiven. And it's like you said, it was a lack of amuna on their part. They had to reach that level of amuna. Right. They themselves. Pasuk Tazayin, verse 16. Vakol nishma beis parolemor. So... You know, they didn't have the internet, but word got out quickly in Egypt. You still had the paparazzi who were taking pictures through the window of this reconciliation. Word got out in Egypt. Bo'u achei Yosef. Yosef's brothers have come. Vaitav be'nei paro v'nei Paro said, oh, I like that. That's good. Now, why was Paro so excited? What's good that Yosef's brothers have come? Why is he excited about that? Shows he's got a background. It was nothing just an epic. So, no. I mean, it's so great. 
Oh, good. So I like the way Jonathan thinks. Maybe Paro said to himself, you know what? If Yosef is one good accountant, 11 more good accountants, boy, what that can do for the industry in Egypt. That's fantastic. More stockbrokers, more hedge fund managers. That's going to be phenomenal. Look at this Farno, Rav Avadja Svarno. See, until now, Yosef had a temporary visa. Yosef was a foreigner. His homeland was Canaan. His family lived in Canaan. He found himself in Egypt, and for these years, on his temporary visa, he would function as the viceroy. Paro was excited. Why? Because now that his family is moving down here, he's not here on a temporary visa. He's got a green card. He's a citizen. He's a full-fledged citizen, and he's going to be here, and that will bring greater blessing for Egypt. That's the reason the Svarno gives. The Ramban gives a different reason. For Paro, no, now the Ramban, we looked at Svarno, now the Ramban. So the Ramban disagrees with Svarno. He says, no, you know why Paro was excited? Because it was an embarrassment for Paro. Your vice president is a guy, I mean, could you imagine someone picking a running mate who had been in prison? Who he took out of prison to come run with for him, run with him to be his vice president. You're going to choose your your Fed chairman. You're going to choose your your Treasury uh, Department head. Somebody who you just plucked out of jail. So all this time, Paro was kind of humiliated, defensive. That look at his number two, his viceroy, is Yosef. It's it's a cherpa. It's an embarrassment. The ata bevoi love achim nechbadim. But now that his distinguished family is coming. And it's known that really he is proper, he's distinguished. Everyone was very excited. So, Paro was not excited for Yosef. When you read the Pasuk, you might have concluded, yeah, Paro is such a generous guy. Wow, it's nice, you know? He's so nice, he's so happy for Yosef that he's uh, restored to his family. Now, Paro had self-interest in mind. Either for the Svarno, his self-interest was he was excited Yosef's now here to stay, he's a citizen. Or for the Ramban, he was excited that, you know what, the tabloids will stop killing me over my viceroy being uh, um, a jailbird. And now they're going to see that he's a distinguished person from a distinguished family. But if the tabloids did their job, they'd see that the brothers sold them and the whole, all the cherpa that came before. There was no way to get That got protected. How do I know that got protected? No WikiLeak. No WikiLeak, exactly. <laughs> How do you know that got protected? Can I ask you a question? Did Yaakov ever find out what happened? No. We don't know. Torah never tells us. There's a lot. There's evidence in both directions. We can speculate, but I mean, you know, it's fascinating to me to picture this family wow. unit functioning, right. <laughs> trying to keep this, you know, dysfunctioning. Right? You know. You know, when Yosef, when they're like, you can imagine what that Shabbos table, that Yontif table is like, you know? <laughs> pass the meat. Pass the meat. You sold me into Egypt. You want me to pass the Like, shh, don't the dad doesn't know. Like, you can imagine. But, but no, I, from what I remember, um, Joseph never really saw his father again. No, he saw his father. He saw his father. So his father, he brings his kids to his father. It wasn't the same close relationship they had had. Lest he reveal it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The grandchildren, Ephraim and Menashe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that, George, so we know that the, the paparazzi didn't catch up on that. 
because that was one of the best kept secrets because even Yaakov at least according to many even Yaakov himself never found out Paro said to Yosef tell your brothers here's what they should do here's what they should do um, load up the animals and go right to Canaan Get your father and his household and bring him to me. I'm going to give him the best place in Egypt. He'll be able to eat from the fat of the land. Fat of the land means the best of the land. Take wagons. Here's a first class ticket. Bring everyone down. And don't spare any expense. Don't worry about anything. I'm going to give you the best. So that's what they did. Yosef gave them these wagons and they gave them What's Provisions for the way. Here's food, here's some good things for the way. And Yosef gave parting gifts. Here are party favors, here are parting gifts for everyone. What's questionable in this Pasuk? Yeah, he, gives, he gave everybody one thing and he gave Binyamin three times as much. Whoa! Right, didn't he learn from history? The whole reason everything happened is because his father showed favoritism. And here he is showing favoritism to his younger brother. Isn't maybe oh, so maybe this is part of the test again. That let's see, we're back in the same circumstances. Right. Oh, or when I was favored, you therefore wanted to kill me. Let me see if you've learned to accept the fact that someone might be the favored child. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Would that make you happy if you were a group of twelve who you never were? None of you were all from the same father and mother. It's not. You got four mothers. The twelve were divided among four mothers, and then you see eleven one way and the twelve the other way. And they really didn't have any connection. is this? He was in a position to give them that. And they went out and they took it. Right. Maybe this is where it comes from. Oh, that's interesting. You hear what George is saying? When we left Egypt, God said, "Take, go into the homes and take valuable things with you. So we left Egypt wealthy. What right did God have? What authority was there to take? So maybe this is it. When Paro promised them, the best of Egypt is yours, maybe that became fulfilled when they left Egypt. Beautiful? Yeah. Beautiful. Um... Why, why wagons? Why this emphasis on wagons? Good, so Yosef, they sent wagons, although I'll tell you the problem with that. It occurred to me only this morning when I was reading this. Who was the one who suggested taking wagons? Paro. Paro. Right, we're all taught the Medrash that Yosef sent wagons because it would reveal to his father, if he had any doubts that it really is Yosef, the last thing that they were learning together was the story of Egla Rufa. What? So, so, uh, I say, but the problem with that is that Paro is the one here who suggested taking the wagons, not Yosef. But the Rashbam gives a different reason. Rashbam says, I want you to take wagons, animals to, to drag it. No wagons were to leave Egypt without Paro's consent. Unless he sent Air Force One. He sent Air Force One to go get the father. Who's going to send Air Force One if you don't have... No one's fabricating the story and bringing Air Force One. 
So Parah sent the Air Force One to show um, Yaakov that, yeah, this is the real deal. Maybe for the Egyptians to know that, uh, right, that they should have smooth passage. And that, in fact, was one of the fears. Keep going. He sent all these fine animals and wagons and food to his father. He sent his brothers and they went. And he said to them, Do not Tirgazu on the way. What does Tirgazu mean? Don't dilly-dally. Don't dilly-dally. Okay, good. So here, look at... Look at the... Hold on, hold on. There's a number of commentaries here. Rashi says, Don't get so caught up in your learning. Your yeshiva bacham are going to be learning. And you're going to forget. You're going to get lost. You're going to get whatever. You're going to forget. You miss your train. You're going to miss your bus. He was telling his brothers, don't, don't get involved in such lumdus and such high-level Torah learning that you're going to forget where you're going. An alternative, Rashi says, is don't think now, you know, you just got went from being these poor people from Canaan begging for food to having the ultimate protexia. Don't get arrogant. Don't travel home with this nose-in-the-air arrogant, do you know who I am? I'm the brother of Yosef. Because what you'll do is incite anger in the city. Mm-hmm. Don't get dar- the darach. Don't make everyone along the way angry because you're going to thumb your nose at them that you went down when you, were, when you stayed in the hotel on your way down. You were a poor nothing. A shlub. Now on your way up you're going to say, you know who I am? My brother's the head of Egypt. Don't get everyone angry. Don't, don't, uh, don't put your nose in the air. That's the Rashi's interpretation. The Balaturim. Don't make any trouble along the way thinking that you've got all the power now because of who I am. Don't get in any fights on the way home. You might think, you know, you're going to get into fights, scuffles, you know, somebody's going to start with you, you're going to now fight back because you think you've got this protection because of me. Don't go on anyone's... You think you're such a hot shot, you're going to take a shortcut through somebody's property. And if they come out and object, you're going to say, do you know who my brother is? I'll tear because don't cause any problems. Just be the same humble people that you were before I revealed who I was. Stick with the highway. Don't take shortcuts through people's property. Don't get anybody angry. He was also worried that maybe they start fighting between themselves. That's right. Who was more responsible for themselves? Yeah, another interpretation is... Right, now you're going to go, I told you not to sell him. It was my, it was your idea, it was your idea. You're going to kill each other on the way home. Whose fault and whose idea? Right. Right, so that's the, that's the uh, Ibn Ezra's interpretation. The Rashbam. This was not a warning. This was a information. So don't worry, you're not going to have any problems because I have peace with everyone around. They all know who I am. Flash your Yosef card and you're going to be fine. That's the Rashbam's interpretation. The, uh, the Ramban's interpretation is different. The Ramban, the final interpretation we'll read is, you're going to be going home, you're going to be passing all these neighborhoods where people are suffering from a famine, and you're going to be going in your chariots overflowing with delicacies and food. 
Just stay out of trouble. Stay out of trouble. People are going to be jealous. Don't flash what you got. And stay out of trouble. Altir Gazubadarach. So on those three words, Altir Gazubadarach, we have all these multiple interpretations. Two from Rashi, <coughs> the Ibn Ezra, the Balaturim, the Rashbam, the Ramban. Many, many different ways of understanding. Don't get into fight with each other. Don't get into fight with others. Don't think you have protexia. Don't get arrogant. And so on. We haven't heard from the Orchayim this time. We did, we did one Orchayim. So they got to Yaakov and they tell him, you know, we'll stop here. We'll, we'll pick up next time. When they get to Yaakov and they tell him, Yaakov's heart stops. Literally, his heart skips a beat. And he doesn't believe it until he's finally willing to believe it. We'll start with that next time. Have a fantastic uh, sign a petition. We have a petition for Gilad Shalit. If you've not yet signed it, please sign the petition. Um, for the I just signed. Anybody can sign it? Oh, yeah.